0: All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let's go ahead and start reading verse number 1, and we'll finish all the way through verse 14 tonight. Follow along. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, a little quiz. Uh, when Paul is addressing the saints, who is he talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1? Anybody here or the saints? The Christians, yes, yes. I was waiting on someone to say the people in New Orleans that play for the football team. Glad you didn't say that, yes. The saints are the Christians. So, again, sometimes we, we think of saints, all oh, those are the people that are dead. Just because you're dead didn't mean you're you know, Anyway, uh, saints are those that are in Christ, um, in Christ Jesus. So, the saints which are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 really starts this long sentence. Again, this is about our identity in Christ. And Paul is trying to get us to understand who we are in Christ. Uh, again, our world is trying to define us. And really, the definition of the world honestly hasn't changed too much because in Paul's day, he was addressing this and the problems of people trying to self-identify themselves and, and uh, identify themselves based on others. So he was trying to throw out, all, all of that out the window and focus on this. Who are you in Christ Jesus? And he says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be uh, holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will which are in earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, uh, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom we also have trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believe, you were sealed. This is important, so we're going to talk about tonight. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Remember that God made you, he saved you, and because of that, you're worth everything to him. Apart from Christ, our life is a failure. Our life is a wreck. Our life is ruin. It's chaos. But in Christ, we are so many things. And so far, what we've seen, here's what we are in Christ. Now, say in with me. You should know this by now. In Christ, first of all, I am blessed. In Christ, I am chosen. In Christ, I am adopted. In Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am redeemed. In Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I have wisdom. In Christ, I also have understanding. In Christ, I have completion. And then lastly, we talked about this last week. In Christ, I have an inheritance. This is important. Again, this is who we are. This is what defines us. Nothing else in the world truly defines us. But as a Christian, it's all about who you are in Christ. We've been made an inheritance in Christ. In Christ. We have a wonderful inheritance. It talks about this in First Peter chapter one, verses one through four. And in Christ, we are an inheritance. We're valuable to him. Which to turn over with me to John chapter 17 quickly. John chapter 17. The thing that, that blows my mind as we talked about that inheritance last week is that everything that the Son has, everything that Jesus has, we have also. Everything that God gave his Son, he has given us as well because we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And really, John chapter 17 is a, is a great prayer of our Lord and Savior. I want you to kind of take note of how many times we see Jesus talking about us. Verse number 1, I'll kind of read through this quickly. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the, uh, the hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify uh, thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now verse number six. This is when he's talking about us. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me. Talking about the Christians. Out of the world, thine uh, they were, and thou gavest them me. Verse number 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. All, er, sorry, verse number 10. And all mine are thine. And thine are mine. I know it's kind of confusing language, but, and I am glorified in him. So basically what Jesus is saying is, I'm praying for those that you've given me because we are together with this. Again, Romans eight seventeen, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are together with Christ. The inheritance that we have goes together with Jesus Christ. And the important thing is, before we go on tonight, Jesus cannot claim his inheritance apart from us. So what he has, what he gets, we get too. And really, you should be, Blown away by that concept, I am. When I, when I study it, when I think about that, you know, in, in order to have an inheritance, typically something has to happen. Someone has to die. Well, who died? Jesus. He died for us, and he died, and he rose, and he and he was buried, and and he rose back to life on that third day. And his inheritance is is everything. Now, now we get what he gets, and it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful principle. Now let's move on tonight. We now move from eternity past, which is in verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 1, to history past, which is verses 7 through 12, to the immediate experience of the Christians in Ephesus. It's pretty impressive, Nate. Sorry, he distracted me. The Holy Spirit worked in their lives and they knew it. So here's the final thing that we are in Christ tonight I am sealed. I am sealed in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were what? Sealed. Now this is important. We're going to talk about this for a few minutes tonight. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know, the entire process of salvation is given in this verse. First, the sinner has to hear the gospel of salvation. How many have ever heard the gospel of salvation? Came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Many of us in this room have heard the truth of jesus christ the truth of the gospel we repented of our sins we believed on god we trusted in him that's really what this verse is kind of talking about in the first part of it but when you when did you get the holy spirit of promise let me ask this question when did you get the holy spirit of promise the moment you got saved as soon as you got saved you got the holy spirit living within you indwelling within the believers and Paul wants the Christians here in Ephesus to understand the significance of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. There's three primary truths, I think I have this in your notes, that Paul is trying to get across here. First of all, it's a finished transaction. Nothing we have to do. It's already been finished. Once you're saved, here's your, here's your gift. Here's your promise. The Holy Spirit. It's provi- or Sorry, second thing is this. It provides security and protection. Security and protection. We'll hit on this a little bit later. But the great thing I love about salvation is that it provides security and protection, basically meaning this. I'm eternally secure. There's nothing I can do that can lose my salvation. Jesus has already done the work for me. And the third thing is this. It's a mark of authenticity. It's a mark of authenticity. Have you ever wondered why Jesus had to leave this earth? I have at times. How many have ever wished that he was still here? Anybody? You know, I, I do. It would be a wonderful thing. I mean, to, to really just be able to, to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and hear him speak and, and kind of go up to him. What were you talking about there? Can you please explain that? Because sometimes people ask me to explain what I was preaching. I said, you know, honestly, I have no idea what I was just preaching. Uh, but if, if, if I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm usually not like that. I know. Uh, but if, if, if we go to Jesus, he's going to be able to explain it because he is God's son. He knows it all. And it would be a wonderful thing to To be able to witness his miracles and and the truths that he taught. You know, it would be a wonderful thing to to touch him, to eat with him, and, and talk with him. But there's a reason why he left. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, starting in verse number 16. John chapter 14, starting in verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another, what? Comforter. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. Isn't that a great fact right there? Yes. I will not leave you comfortless. There's been times in our life where someone has left us comfortless, but our Heavenly Father... Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has never left us comfortless. And that's what he's trying to explain to his disciples here. I will come to you, verse 19, yet a little while in the world seeth me no more. In just a short time, I'm about to die. My life on this earth at this present time, the first time I came, it's about to be over. Because I live, ye live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in, I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Uh, verse number uh, 23, And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And flip over just a page probably to John 16, verse number 5, starting in verse number 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me. Jesus again talking, my, my time is done, it's time for me to go. And none of you asketh me whither, thou, whither goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So here's the reason that Jesus had to go. It is expedient for you that I go away. Now, again, you think about that. Like why would Jesus have to go? It would be a wonderful thing if he were still here. But he had to go for a reason, for a purpose. For if I go not away, the Comforter, who is the Comforter? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. The Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the reason Jesus had to go, if Jesus didn't leave, then the Holy Spirit would not come. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he was fully God and fully man, which means he had all the powers of God and all the limitations of man. And what I mean by that is this. As fully man, he could only be in one place at one time, right? But the Holy Spirit can indwell within all believers. So, Jesus had to leave so the Holy Spirit would come. And that's a great truth that we we see tonight. That's what Paul is trying to get across. The Holy Spirit has come and and dwells within the believers. When Jesus left, he spit, he, he sent his Holy Spirit. As I said on Sunday, Spurgeon once said, the Holy Spirit is not to us a luxury, but a necessity. We need the Holy Spirit. He's the one that teaches us and guides us and moves us and leads us in our lives. I heard a preacher say this here recently. He said, we should strive as Christians to obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us, that guides us, that directs us. And that's why there's been many times in my life where, you know what? The Holy Spirit has led me to do something, and I didn't do it. How many have ever felt a prompting to to witness to someone? Anybody? To invite someone to church. How many have ever had that prompting, that leading, and you did not act upon that? Yeah, many of us have. Now, that prompting, that leading, if you're a Christian, is what? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving and directing in your hearts. Hey, go talk to that person. Go invite them to church. No, no, no. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I'm not going to sing at Walmart, or I'm going to sing very, very quietly so nobody around me can hear. I don't know why I'm saying that. That just came into my mind. The Holy Spirit prompted me in that. No. Michael did a great job with that. Uh, Really better than most of us probably would do, so I appreciate him doing that. I was joking with him last week. Sometimes he gets himself in trouble when he gets up here to kind of repreach some things. And he says some things that just come out. And, oh, man, now I have to do that. <laughs> so I, I try to watch what I say. Anyway, let's continue on. First thing we see about being sealed with the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit's indwelling. Verse 13, in whom also ye after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your heart, took up residency. He indwells within believers. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful thing, and and I don't have time tonight to talk all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we get into other chapters in Ephesians, we'll we'll address some of this. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and those are wonderful things. But let me quickly give you some, a quick synopsis of the ministry of the Holy Spirit quickly. One thing the Holy Spirit does is this he invites the holy spirit says come throughout the scriptures the holy spirit invites thirsty souls to come and place their faith in jesus christ the spirit invites both young and old rich and poor another thing the holy spirit does is convict you ever been convicted yes all of us have and if you haven't it, maybe it's because the holy spirit is not dwelling within you but the holy spirit convicts the spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment so many try to fight off conviction, but the Spirit longs for a close relationship with Jesus. So many try to fight it off, though. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's, it's very important to listen to that conviction. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is this. He regenerates. When we're invited to come, we're, convinced, we're convicted of our need for our Savior. But we're also regenerated at the moment of salvation. Titus 3, 5 talks about that. We have a new birth, which means we have a new life and a new heart. Aren't you thankful that you're not the same person before Christ as you were after Christ? Yes. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is this, indwells, indwells. Once we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within the heart of the believer. From that moment forward, we are the temple or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is he renews. We've, we've talked about this before in church, and I've preached messages on that. The Holy Spirit wants to renew our minds and our hearts. He wants us to renew day by day. That renewal is that growth period. And really, the growth stage should be from the moment we get saved until the moment either Christ comes back or to the moment that Christ calls us home. So we always should be renewed and growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So he renews, kind of like that old little kid song, little by little, day by day. Little by little in every way, Jesus is changing me. I'm not the same person that I used to be. You shouldn't be the same person today that you were yesterday. If the Holy Spirit has truly worked in your life, you shouldn't be the same person, right? Am I right? Yes. You should not be the same person because the Holy Spirit has been renewing you and growing you. Another thing the Holy Spirit does is this. He gives assurance, and I'm thankful for this. I am no longer a slave to sin. Okay, you're not excited, but I am. I am no longer a slave, slave to sin. Amen. Well, whatever. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight. It's like the song we said, we sang on Sunday. We're a child of God. We're a child of God, which means we belong to God. We belong to our Heavenly Father. And then the last thing the Holy Spirit does, which we'll hit on, the Holy Spirit seals it's impossible to find which of these is the greatest quality or ministry of the Holy Spirit. But really this thing right here is it's it's at the top of my list because can I ever lose my salvation? No. Aren't you thankful for that? You ever sin, you ever messed up, even today probably? Sin, you messed up, said something stupid or did something you shouldn't have done. I probably shouldn't have said that word in church with all these kids. I know people get on me for that. It's okay. Please forgive me. That was one of those bad things I just did okay but we can never lose our salvation can I ever be unsaved after salvation no once we accept Christ into our hearts we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise we've been bought we've been purchased we belong to Christ Jesus that's why Paul says you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise what is the sealing? sealing means this get this down it means to permanently mark. To permanently mark. You ever marked on someone with a Sharpie or permanent marker? Isn't that great? You do it kind of as a joke sometimes, but you do it because it's supposed to be permanent. Now eventually it will wash off, right? But it's permanent. In Paul's days, in Paul's days, seals were used in at least four ways. I'm gonna give you quickly the, the four ways that seals were used to help us understand. First, seals were sometimes put on letters to guarantee that it was genuine. And then it was written by who it claimed to be written by. You wouldn't know who it was written by unless they had that seal, that signet, to say, okay, this is from the king, the president, the prince, or this person or that person. A seal was also sometimes placed on goods of merchandise that was uh, traveling from one place to another to indicate who they belonged to and where they were going. It, basically, it indicated ownership. Again, sometimes we do this with our possessions today. We write our names in our books or, you know, we write our names on our kids' clothing and different things like that. This clothing belongs to whoever. So what they did was they placed marks. And sometimes we even do this today, you know, with with cattle. We brand the cattle saying it's, this is mine, right? In case that cattle wanders somewhere else, you have that brand that belongs to this person. A third way that they used seals back in Paul's day was this. Seals were used in Paul's day to show something was authentic or approved. Sometimes when we buy clothes, in one of the pockets will be a little piece of paper saying it has been inspected and approved, or approved by someone. The fourth type of seal was protection or warning. Remember when Jesus was put in the tomb, Pilate told the soldiers to put a personal seal upon the tomb, that rock? This was to protect the tomb and warn everyone to stay away and keep out. So Paul is saying that God has placed a seal upon us. This shows ownership. Let me ask this question. Is the seal the Holy Spirit provides us, is it a visible seal? No, it's not. I couldn't ask you, like, all right, show me your seal tonight. It's right here. Here's my seal. No, it's just a birthmark or tattoo or whatever's on you. That's not a seal. The seal is not a visible seal. You can't show your seal to someone else. You can show them some strange, strange birthmarks, but you're not going to show them the seal of the Holy Spirit. Also, it's not revealed by some sort of spiritual manifestation like being slain in the Spirit or speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues was really given in this day and age for the apostles to advance the gospel to spread the gospel because there's so many different languages and to spread the gospel to get the gospel out speaking in tongues was given I don't believe that it is a mark of the church today and people say "Oh, well, I believe in speaking in tongues when you really study the word of God that's not a biblical principle and a lot of times when people are speaking in tongues they're speaking gibberish and it's not to advance the gospel so we need to understand that the sealing of the spirit is an invisible mark to the physical realm but this is important It's visible to God. The seal of the Spirit is invisible. You can't show someone your seal. Hey, look at my seal. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. But it's visible to God. He knows who you are. In a sense, he has put his mark on you. That's one of mine. That's my child. That's my child. I am his and they are mine. Another thing we see is this. The Holy Spirit's insurance. The Holy Spirit's insurance verse number 14 which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory let me ask a question tonight what is the purpose of insurance that's a heavy question i know <laughs> what is the purpose of insurance somebody tell me what, what is the purpose of insurance what to protect what else to replace better protect against loss yeah what else to insure. That's very good, Amanda. That was deep. That was deep. Very good. Anybody else? What? To repair? To repair? Yeah, could be. There's a lot of reasons for insurance, but really, I, I kind of wrote this down. It provides a guarantee, right? It provides a guarantee. Now, it's supposed to. Uh, sometimes we have to fight with the insurance company. Hey, this is supposed to be a guarantee. My property was damaged, and, and now you're supposed to guarantee that you're going to replace it and everything like that. But really, the Holy Spirit... It's our insurance. When it says in verse number 14, which is the earnest, the earnest. This is talking about that doctrine of eternal security. Your salvation is totally dependent on Jesus and what he's done. In Paul's day, this word earnest meant the down payment to guarantee the final purchase of some commodity or piece of property. You ever bought a house and you had to place some earnest money? Yeah. The earnest money is a guarantee that I am good for what I'm going to to do. Now get this, the Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee to his children that he will finish the work that he started and bring them back to heaven with him. Now there's another definition for earnest. It's something that many men in this room have probably given to someone. In Greece, it's also translated an engagement ring. Have you ever given someone an engagement ring? In a sense, that is an earnest. You're basically saying to that person that you've given the engagement ring to, that I guarantee I will marry you. You're going to be mine, not my property, but you're going to be mine. We're going to be together. It's an earnest. It's a down payment in a sense. Here's the great thing about this. Christ is the bridegroom. We, the church, are his bride. The Holy Spirit is in a sense like an engagement ring. It's the promise that Jesus Christ will come back to claim you all, to claim me. And that should give great truth and great comfort. You're the purchase possession because he's redeemed you. The Holy Spirit will provide us with new bodies and an inheritance when we finally get to heaven. So he was talking about in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Aren't you thankful that this body is not the final body that you'll have? I mean, could you imagine going to heaven and you're all falling apart as all of us are, you know, and you can't really get around and you're gonna spend all of eternity with that body. Could you imagine that? That'd be a horrible thing. When we get to heaven, we get a new body. It's part of our inheritance. We have a glorified body. No more sin, no more decay. You know, we're all going to have like energy like Nate. It's going to be an amazing thing. (laughs) I'm just going to stop right there. But we're going to have a new body, and that's part of our inheritance. You see, we have a ceiling in the Holy Spirit right now, which promises us and guarantees that this inheritance is ours and is waiting for us. As great as the gift of the Holy Spirit is, he is only a deposit, a foretaste, a small glimpse of the beauty and the glory and the greatness and the majesty that awaits us in eternity, In eternity, the redemption of our bodies. Once again, just in case we forgot, Paul tells us this is the praise of his glory. It's all for God's glory and not our own. It's for God's glory alone that he is giving us these wonderful riches in Christ Jesus. And that's what we see in verses 3 through 14. The wonderful riches we have in Jesus Christ. Paul made us aware of these three incredible riches that we have in Jesus. We have security from the Father. He has promised to make us holy and heirs. And we have salvation from the Son. We also have sealing from the Holy Spirit. You know, this is a wonderfully rich passage that deals so vividly with our identity. You know, in the in the beginning series of our identity on Sunday mornings and looking at that Thrive series, I talked about your who. Where is your who hiding? If you're saved, then it's hiding in Christ. It's not in this world, it's hiding in Christ. You see, our identity is not in ourselves, our identity is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. The righteousness will flourish when we're planted in the house of the Lord. Remember this statement that I said several months ago. I don't belong to me. Let's all say that together again. I don't belong to me. So if we don't belong to me, who do we belong to? Jesus Christ. If we're saved, we belong to him. Your job, your career. Do not give a lasting identity and purpose. But that's what defines me. No, it doesn't define you because it can change. You know, being a father and mother, those are great things, but that doesn't define you. What defines you is who you are in Christ. And in Christ, we've realized who we are. That blows away all um, uh, self-confidence issues, and a lot of us struggle with that. I don't know who I am, and I don't really have confidence in things. Our confidence isn't in ourself. Who's our confidence in? Christ. It should be in Christ. If we're saved, understanding that our confidence is in jesus christ you know marriage is a great thing it's a sacred union but if we think the person that we're going to marry or are married to is the one that's going to satisfy then you're sadly mistaken amanda thank you (laughs) you know we say things like oh man they're the person i dreamed of Well, let me just help you out they're not (laughs) but jesus is jesus is all we've ever dreamed of and more because that's who we're supposed to be in Christ. And here, and I said this before, and I'm gonna close with this. If you stake your identity in something that is alterable, something that can change, it will change. But if you stake your identity in something that is rooted, it will last. So if you stake your identity in, in marriage, marriage can change, can it not? You stake your identity in being a parent, that could change if if something happens to your child and they, they die. If you stake your identity in a job, you can lose your job. You understand what I'm saying? But if you stake your identity in something that is rooted, it will last. And the only thing that is rooted in this world is Jesus Christ. And let's say this all together. What we are in Christ. Let's go through the list. Michael, if you have it. First and foremost, in Christ, I am blessed. I am chosen. Wait. Oh, yeah. He's going back and forth like that. I am blessed. I am chosen. I am adopted. I'm accepted. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I have wisdom. I have understanding. I have completion. I have an inheritance. And as we learn tonight, I am sealed. Aren't you thankful for that? Every person in here for truly saved should be thankful. And again, this is just the start of it. This book is a wonderful book, a great treasure chest. It's not who you are in the world. It's who you are in Christ Jesus. Blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, wisdom, understanding, completion, inheritance, and sealed. Nothing can ever break that seal. Nothing can break that seal.